traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is please at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel belted radials and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. And I am your mad prophet of the airwaves. Welcome to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Friday, April 29th. Yesterday in the Ontario legislature, Doug Ford and his radical progressive party delivered their budget. And as predicted, they're trying to bribe us with our money going into the next election, June 2nd. Jay Goldberg, Ontario director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, will be here in hour two to go over the budget. Much of the revenue for Ford's reckless spending comes from his BFF, Gropey Blackface. Oh, you didn't know. Doug Ford 
and his left-wing lobbyists who run the party have turned the once conservative PC party into the provincial wing of the federal Liberal Party. Now, something else happened at the legislature yesterday. Here is New Blue MPP for Cambridge, Belinda Carajalios, introducing a petition. A big thank you to Catherine Cronus for organizing this. We have thousands and thousands of names, both online and as you can see here with me today, written. It is to the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Whereas, as announced on March 15, 2019, the Ford government's new health and physical education curriculum continues to include required teaching of gender identity theory for students too young to receive such teaching. And whereas the Toronto, Hamilton, Wentworth, and York Region District School Boards have each released equity lesson plans developed from intersectionality theories, including critical race theory, which segregates students into privilege and oppression hierarchies with the intent of treating them differently based on their immutable characteristics as further reinforced in Bill 67, Racial Equity in the Education System Act 2021. And whereas the Halton Catholic School Board held a training workshop for teachers, which claimed publicly funded education is a form of covert white supremacy. We the undersigned petition Premier Doug Ford, his government and the Legislative Assembly of Ontario to stop Bill 67, Racial Equity in the Education System Act 2021 and stop teaching intersectionality theories, including critical race theory, in our publicly funded schools, which contradicts with the principle of equality before the law and with the individual rights of Ontarians pursuant to a liberal democratic society, and stop teaching gender identity theory to students who are minors in our publicly funded schools and commit to a results-based education curriculum that focuses on equal opportunity, meritocracy, and educational excellence. I approve this petition and affix my name to it and give it to Paige Alexander. Thank you. All right. Amen to that. And this petition was a huge stack of papers containing the signatures of tens of thousands of sensible parents from across Ontario opposed to not only uh, the the radical gender uh, studies, but also the racist Bill 67, which seeks to further codify critical race theory into our public school system, divide and segregate students along racial lines. And uh, the white students will be uh, basically categorized as oppressors and the visible minority students as oppressed. It's an appalling and odious and sinister concept, and it has no place in our schools or anywhere else in society. It's poison. And this is a bill introduced by NDP MPP for a Kitchener Center, uh, Laura Maylindo from the provincial Marxist-Leninist party, really. And it was endorsed enthusiastically by the radical progressive party of Doug Ford. But after being pressured by New Blue's Carajalios and no doubt thousands of angry phone calls and emails from sensible parents, the Ford government appears, appears to be backing away from the bill, which is presently in committee. But we shall see. So uh, congratulations to Belinda Carajalios for presenting that petition in the Ontario legislature and also to the uh, organizer at Stop Woke. Stopwoke.ca. A few days ago, I mentioned that the Biden administration has just created something called the Disinformation Governance Agency to be administered by the Department of Homeland Security. In other words, a ministry of truth. And this is in reaction to free speech absolutist Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. Of course, now the Dems, now the Democrats want social media regulated and they want to be able to censor and silence anyone who disagrees with them. Now, of course, when Twitter was controlled by the woke SJWs who carried water for the left and their crazy ideology, Twitter was a private company and they should do they could do what they want. 
Here's a U.S. Congresswoman, Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, and why she is still a Democrat, I have no idea. Have a listen. This is the kind of thing that you see in dictatorships, this Ministry of Truth, this Department of Propaganda that the Biden administration has just stood up. And the reason why you see this in dictatorships is because they're afraid of us. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid that we might actually think for ourselves. And so now they've created this this body that will do two things. Number one, it'll use taxpayer dollars to uh, work through the mainstream media and flood the airwaves with whatever their propaganda narrative is that they're pushing it at any given time and try to drown out anyone with alternate views. And number two, they will silence dissenting voices uh, through intimidation. Uh, This is, I think the thing to recognize with this, just real quick, is that this isn't something new. This is something that they have already been doing that's happening right now. The the only difference is they're formalizing it, making it official, which if there's a silver lining in this, it is they're revealing exactly who they are and why they're doing it, what they're trying to accomplish. It allows us, the American people, to stand up and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to let you get away with this crap. We will take a stand. We will reject it. And we will throw out of office those who are continuing to uh, push and propagate this undemocratic anti-free speech mission. And Tulsi Gabbard is exactly right. The silver lining here is that finally, the radical progressives in the U.S. and also here in Canada are feeling so emboldened that they've come out from hiding. They don't feel the need to hide anymore and push their noxious ideology from the shadows. So we know who they are. They identify themselves. We know who they are. And if you listen closely, if you pay attention, they tell us exactly what they intend to do. And none of it is good. None of it is democratic. None of it is life affirming. It's a communist, totalitarian, dystopian nightmare they're offering. And there are no more excuses for the rest of us. This is go time. We draw a red line now and we use every peaceful and legal means to fight these communist creeps and their odious anti-freedom, anti-humanity ideology. I mean, this is the battle of the century. Now we get our metal tested, just like our ancestors had their metal tested during World War II and the Depression. It's not going to be easy. The woke, rabid mob are legion. They run our school boards, they run our city councils, they run the courts, they run our our entertainment industry, they run many corporations. So they have the ball on our one-yard line. But we have to hold the line. We have no choice. So please, before it's too late, get involved, get political, support the candidates who support freedom and bodily autonomy and equality over equity, The woke mob must be removed from places of authority through the ballot box. Or if the woke mob are running businesses, we have to stop doing business with these odious characters. Disney is down 40% because good, sensible people realize Disney is run by a bunch of groomers. Netflix down 30% because sensible people are canceling their service. We don't need a television program about pregnant dads. Enough is enough. The gloves are off. It's time to fight back before it's too late. And it's not too late. It's not. That's exactly what the woke mob wants you to believe. Give up. It's hopeless. We've already won. Yesterday, I mentioned a mom in BC who's fighting back in the courts. She's one of four plaintiffs taking 
the uh, province's vaccine card system to court. She's immune compromised. Her doctor told her not to take the vaccine, but the government doesn't care. The government could care less if you live or die. You must comply. That's all they care about, compliance. Drea Humphrey from the uh, Rebel News will be here with that story. Greg Carrasco, host of the Greg Carrasco on Saga 960, will be here. You know, he and I are a lot alike, except he's younger, smarter, heavily tattooed. He has a beard. He knows mixed martial arts. Well, we're not really much alike. Oh, well, here's where we, we share a lot of the same values. That is really what's important. And Greg will be here for our There Is Something Happening Here segment in the second hour. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. We recap the provincial budget. Conservative MP James Bezin recently wrote a letter to the RCMP commissioner asking her, Brenda Lucky, to reconsider and charge the crime minister with fraud for accepting an all-expense-paid luxury vacation from the Aga Khan back in 2016. He'll be here. The Lim Riddler, of course. The Sofa Cinephile. Jim Salas returns with a look at the new Spider-Man film, No Way Home. But first, critics of feminist journalist and author of The Beauty Myth, Naomi Wolf, claim she's gone from feminist icon to anti-vax conspiracy theorist. She was banned from Twitter for spreading vaccine myths, quote, end quote. Now, thanks to Elon Musk, she's back on Twitter. And she's next on this program to talk about her new book, The Bodies of Others, the New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. Now, for the record, Naomi Wolf is not a conspiracy theorist. She's 100% right, and I believe it's very important you hear what she has to say. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Friday, April 29th. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Uh, Naomi Wolf, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against Human, The Human. Uh, she's also co-founder and CEO of dailyclout.io, which is a successful civic tech company, of course, considered by many to be a, a feminist icon and um, really came, I guess, to the fore with the, uh, the book, The Beauty Myth. And now, of course, she's being dismissed as an anti-vax conspiracy theorist. She was kicked off Twitter. Recently, I believe, reinstated after Elon Musk bought the company. And uh, hoping to speak with her about this, uh, this book. She recently took a deep dive into the uh, Pfizer documents, which, of course, are now being released in uh, huge tranches. They're coming at us fast and furious after a federal court judge in Texas, a Trump appointee, ordered Pfizer to release those documents. They were supposed to be released in dribs and drabs over like 75 years. So most of us would be long gone when all of the truth finally comes out. Well, now it's coming out in a hurry. And it's uh, it's hard to keep up because they're releasing thousands and thousands of pages at a time. And Naomi Wolf has actually been taking the time to go through. Others have as well. But she's been very public about it. And um, so we're hoping that she'll be with us uh, shortly. We had carved out uh, three segments with Naomi. And uh, as of right now, she is not here. Let me give you a heads up on what's happening a little bit later in the program. Jim Salas returns, the sofa cinephile. 
Jim is uh, he's just a passionate consumer of home theater electronics and uh, also the owner of Ontario's largest private collection of DVDs and CDs. And uh, he'll be here to preview the uh, the newly released, well, I guess it's been out a few weeks, the new Spider-Man movie from Sony, released on 4K. And uh, this, this one is, uh, let's say it's not your grandfather's Spider-Man from the old TV show. Remember the old TV show? Yeah, it's not that. Anyway, this is, uh, it's, a, it's, I believe it's Sony's largest grossing film ever. During the pandemic, no less. Anyway, Jim Salas will be here to tell us about uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the old cartoon. And I think I watched the, uh, the very first Spider-Man movie. Uh, this one has like all three different Spider-Mans all coming together. I guess what in like uh, parallel universes or something. I really, <laughs> anyway, Jim will be here to explain it. And don't forget the Lim Riddler returns after a bit of an absence, because of course, last Friday was uh, Orthodox Christian Good Friday. And the Friday before that was the fake Good Friday. Just kidding. <laughs> the Easter Protestant, uh, the, the uh, Catholic and Protestant uh, Good Friday. So uh, the Lim Riddler had a bit of a, a holiday, but he's back with a brand new clue, Lim Riddle clue, and the uh, first person to answer correctly and send their answer into info at limriddles.com will win a pair of tickets to see the uh, Mississauga Steelheads in action, playoff action against the Barry Colts. That's tomorrow night. This is round one, I believe, right? Jacob, they're in round one against uh, the Barry Colts, all tied up at two. So this is uh, game five tomorrow night. All right, we will uh, take a quick timeout, come back, and hopefully we will have... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Are you ready for a rewarding career in the electrical industry? Quality Electric of the Coastal Carolinas, QECC, is looking for qualified electricians and electrical helpers to join its Charleston team. QECC offers guaranteed full-time hours, make up to $30 per hour with possible performance bonuses and career growth opportunities. Enjoy benefits like health insurance, dental and vision coverage, 401k plans, and more. If you're a motivated, experienced electrician, this job is for you. QECC is an equal opportunity employer. For all job inquiries, send email to hr at qeccinc.com. Naomi Wolf with us. Come back uh, and uh, join us, I hope.
Thank you so much for listening to the Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. All right, welcome back. As I mentioned earlier, her detractors, Naomi Wolf's detractors, of course, the feminist icon, journalist, author of The Beauty Myth, they say she's gone from feminist icon to anti-vax conspiracy theorist. And for the record, that's not true. I don't believe she was banned from Twitter for spreading so-called vaccine myths. Uh, now, I believe she's back on uh, the platform, thanks to Elon Musk in part. And uh, she's here now to talk about her new book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. Naomi, welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? My pleasure. Uh, very well. Thank you. Under under the uh, circumstances, I think we can all say. Uh, so you, you write in the book that COVID-19 and the response to COVID by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Health Organization, the WEEF, uh, some of the WEF's devotees, which uh, are legion in our cabinet up here, federal cabinet in Canada. You say this is a war aimed at undoing humanity. What do you mean? Well, it sounds like a giant claim, but I, I provide a great deal of evidence in the book to show exactly what I mean. Um, essentially, what I argue in The Bodies of Others is that the last two years of what was messaged as a pandemic and often um, things can be real, like there was a real respiratory emergency, uh, uh, just like there was real terrorism in the Bush era. Um, real things can be hyped and messaged and managed by political entities, by corporate entities to serve other agendas. And that's exactly what happened to the West during the last two years. And I'm so sorry about beloved Canada. I love your country. And, and what's happening up there is catastrophic and a lesson to us all. Um, but basically what I argue is that the excuse of the pandemic was exploited by a handful of bad actors. You mentioned some of them, the World Economic Forum, which has deeply seated your leadership, but has seated leadership around the world. Um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you correctly mentioned, also the Chinese Communist Party and big tech companies in particular, um, they formed, I wouldn't say a loose alliance, but a set of kind of overlapping goals and agendas in such a way that they influenced pandemic policy so as to crush the things that make human beings strong and to put in place instead a kind of paywall, a digital paywall, keeping us from engaging with humanity um, unless we pay the price that they demand and, and engage on the terms that they demand. And what I mean is, is very simple. Human beings, you know, what did the pandemic policies take aim at? In-person worship, bookstores, concert halls, theaters, um, uh, town halls where people gather and assemble and engage in democratic legislation, free assembly, uh, in-person learning, um, singing, touching, human contact, um, facial expression, you know, our faces were masked, our children's faces were masked. These were, these had no, as it turns out, the data are in, they had no scientific rationale. Uh, states and countries that never locked down, like Florida and Sweden um, and South Dakota, did exactly the same as Countries like Canada that locked down viciously, countries like Australia and states like California and New York, um, no difference. And the same thing with masks, um, minimal protection, but 
horrible, horrible harms, especially to children. The data are in that kids lost 21 uh, IQ points um, during the pandemic because of the restriction of social interaction and that it's actually affecting kids' ability to process facial expressions um, in a holistic way. So what, what, do, what do these policies do? They kill off the human advantage um, and they create massive profits. And I've mapped these profits in my book for Amazon, Zoom, Nintendo, you know, EduTech, which was a dog industry, right? Distance learning. No one liked it until the pandemic. Now it's a it's minting money for tech investors, you know, meal kits, uh, you know, Amazon instead of mom and pop shops that were forced to close. Uh, and 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 again, the vaccine passports are, are kind of a, a medium to protect this new reality because you're threatened with having your access to human society switched off unless you use your credit card, which is your body, to re-up and re-up and re-up your digital access. And that's how tech companies operate. I, I know because I'm a tech CEO, right? We think in terms of paywalls. And so what happened when the pandemic was a paywall was imposed on Western culture and society, access to goods, access to services, access to other human beings, in such a way that tech now wants to mediate what we do and harvest our data as we do it. A paywall attached to a, uh, a social credit system that's rapidly unwinding uh, right here in, in the West. Correct. Uh, you you uh, also you talk about how uh, organized religion was particularly targeted. And you mentioned the Orthodox Jewish community in uh, New York, where uh, police um, forcibly entered the homes of uh, Jewish families, arrested, you know, dragged rabbis out into the street. It was pretty sick to see. But here in Canada, we have a, a premier and out, out in Alberta who claims to be a conservative, who, who publicly claimed he's against the uh, the Great Reset, and yet he's jailing more pastors than the Communist Chinese. Uh, where is this this clampdown on organized religion, particularly Judaism and Christianity, going in the West? Well, it's quite terrifying, and you know, again, these are scenes that we see all over the West, and this is why I say that the pandemic policies in many ways are aimed at undoing the mores and values of the West. I mean, before I answer your question, let's just look at the discourse around the virus, right? The virus was very much treated as a metaphor. And that's why my book's title is The Bodies of Others. We used to have in the West, the great achievement of the West was the notion of individual human rights and civil rights. And bodily autonomy was central to that. You know, People are enslaved when you can do things to their bodies that they do not choose. Um, and you can restrict their assembly, you can restrict their movement. That's a definition of en enslavement. Uh, and so the West innovated the idea that the individual got to decide. Well, the messaging of the virus was you have to, you know, that that your breathing right, implicates you in the well-being or harms to others. It's your responsibility to suppress yourself so that you are serving collective good. And then unscientifically, the vaccine was messaged as you have to take it, not for your own health and well-being, but so as to serve the public good, even though the science showed manufacturers didn't claim that it vaccination affects transmission. It doesn't. But this was the message. And the unvaccinated or people who care about freedom or autonomy are selfish and harming the, the common good. And they're even targeting the family, right, by saying, well, you're, you're 
child doesn't belong to you, your child belongs to the state, uh, turning parents in the United States into domestic terrorists if they challenge any of this. So what, you know, how that relates to targeting religion is that religion is in the West one of the sources of are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Courage and compassion and culture, resilience among communities. And socialist societies hate religion. You know, China hates religion. And China is a big player in this, especially in Canada. Uh, but uh, certainly- pardon the interruption, Naomi. I've got to take a quick time out. Excuse me. We'll come back and pick up on this point. Naomi Wolf, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Naomi Wolf stays with us, author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. Uh, Naomi, I've been talking about these sorts of of things uh, on the radio for about 20 years, and I guess part of me never believed it myself. I guess that's what we call normalcy bias. But now now it's, it's, it's happening right before our very eyes at the speed of light. Is it too late to stop this process? Well, that's up to us. I mean... No, if I thought it was too late, I wouldn't have written the book. Um, but we have to wake up. And the first part of waking up is understanding the nature of the war that's being waged against us. It's kind of a more brilliant um, crime committed against humanity than any I can think of in history, because the messaging has been, this is for your own good. This is a public health emergency. You have to save yourself by closing your business, suppressing your family, uh, refusing to join others in worship, um, letting your stuff be stolen. You know, it's for the good of yourself and your family. So uh, that's why I have so much evidence in the bodies of others that the regulatory agencies, the health agencies manipulated data. Those COVID dashboards that you're subjected to in Canada, just as we are, are fake dashboards. They're un unverifiable. Um, you know, that the CDC down in um, the United States has a is the target of a grand jury investigation by two state senators for misusing data and data has been misused in Canada as well. Um, the PCR tests are not correct. I went to a PCR test lab and I was shown how there's a missing line that leads the PCR test to say whatever you want them to say. Um, there's uh, horrible conflicts of interest. So this should puncture, you know, the COVID myth basically, and the pandemic myth. And then we should, we can see that, you know, who these bad actors really are. And yes, if we band together as we have in the United States in ways that I hope, you know, I can empower Canadians to do as well, because I love your country so much, we have been waging a fight, sometimes successful, 
In 33 states, we rolled back emergency law. In 33 states, we we stopped bills that were going to impose vaccine passports. And there's a freedom, you know, I'm not a Republican, but the Republicans are running on a freedom message and they're going to win because people are seeing through these lies. Canada is a trickier situation because a lot of your media is even more fully co-opted than ours is. Uh, So thank God for you and your colleagues. And also because there are so few um, elected officials that I'm aware of who are daring to speak out against these uh, restrictions, these lockdowns, these suppressions of Canadian freedoms. But I believe Canadians are waking up and a lot of them are angry and they don't want done to their kids what was done to them. Um, And so I, I do know that when that nothing historically nothing can stop a group of people, a massive group of people who are determined to to reclaim their liberty and their democracy. So the uh, the um, Biden administration just uh, unveiled or announced this um, disinformation governance agency, which will be administered by the Department of Homeland Security up here in Canada. They have uh, a bill C eleven, which will give the government the power to uh, censor online content. Uh, the so-called independent media, of course, in their crosshairs, uh, that's going to make it even more difficult, you know, for, for people like yourself and myself to get the word out. What do we do then? Well, I mean, we have a lot of power, you know, we can stop these bills, number one, and we can mobilize to stop them. But that's why in my book, I am so, it sounds retro, but, you know, we've been persuaded that in-person assembly is inferior to digital communications. Well, in a lot of ways, human beings in person can do things that technology cannot do. And that's why they're trying to kill those spaces off. We've been taught that physical books are inferior to, you know, again, websites. Um, It's ironic because I'm a tech CEO, but I am saying to people, if you gather like the great movements in history, it came about through assembly. And if people gather and go to their town halls and go to lectures, in-person lectures and print like paper is a radical thing. Books are radical things. You can't hack them, you know, support local bookstores. Um, You know, as great as it is to talk to you digitally, it's really important for us to start going to lectures again, you know, going to synagogues and churches again, talking to one another, uh, inviting friends to our homes. They cannot, the only way they can manage us is if they persuade us to hand over all our sovereignty, all our data, all communications onto platforms that they can censor. But if we refuse to allow that by, um, you know, deplatforming elected officials who try to censor us, uh, electing other people who represent us uh, while we still have a shred of democracy left and gathering, assembling, protesting in person, communicating in person on paper and books, as well as digitally, um, they can't silence us and they can't censor us. But you have to recognize that we're in a kind of a coup has taken place. Right. We're we're in, you know, it is Poland in 1983. Right. When there was Samizdat, when people used to hand pamphlets to each other or forbidden books to each other. We have to recognize that we're there again and stop handing over all our stuff to these people who are not our friends. Naomi, uh, appreciate your time and all of your your hard work in the new book. Again, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. How do we get a copy? 
Oh, absolutely. Order it from allseasonspress.com uh, so that Amazon can't censor me. And, you know, order it from Amazon if you must. And uh, definitely go to your local bookstore and, and order it as well. Um, and thank you so much for letting me talk to you about it. Having wow. been platform three times it is a blessing to be able to communicate at all well this platform is available to you anytime if you'd like to come back we'd love to have you back and spend more time i'd love that thank you so much and thanks for all you do all right my pleasure all uh naomi wolf all right when we come back the sofa cinephile will lighten things up a little bit and take a look at the new 4k release of spider-man no way home Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. She told me there was great power. Comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben said it. All right, let's do this. I will. I was in the Avengers. The Avengers? Yeah. That's great. Thank you. What is that? Well, you don't have the Avengers? Is that a band? Are you in a band? Are you in a band? There you go. That is the official movie trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home. Just out on uh, 4K. And here to discuss is the sofa cinephile Jim Salas. Hey, Jim, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. So um, this is still in the theaters at the same time, right? It's released on 4K on uh, DVD, but it's also available uh, in the theaters. It's still still playing in three theaters in the GTA. I checked this morning, which is very unusual, given the film was released by Sony in in, uh, originally released in theaters back in the middle of December. So it's still going gangbusters. Wow. And, and where does it rank uh, among, uh, you know, the big blockbuster popcorn movies in terms of uh, gross? Well, never mind blockbuster uh, popcorn movies. It's the sixth highest grossing movie of all time. Wow. Wow. And, and if you want to rank it in the Marvel uh, m- movies, even though it's a Sony Marvel kind of co-production, it ranks behind the two Avengers movies, Endgame and Infinity Wars. It's the third highest grossing Marvel, Marvel Universe movie. Okay, so I'm a little confused because uh, Disney owns Marvel Studios, or they did. They and so, uh, and then it's a, yet it's a Sony movie. Right. So, how does that work? Is it a Sony well, or a, a Marvel or a Disney film? Sony's in charge. Uh, historically, when Marvel Comics was going broke, they started license, licensing off all their rights. Sony grabbed Spider-Man, which was the number one superhero character. Universal got the rides, and Eventually, Disney consolidated everything except Spider-Man. Sony has hung on to Spider-Man, and they did the first five Spider-Man films on their own. The last three they have co-produced with Mar- uh, with Marvel Studios, and they have to agree on how they integrate into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But other than that, Sony's in charge. Ah, okay. Now, um, I just watched the trailer. I haven't seen the movie, but and I I watched the one of the first. Spider-Man movies, and, and that was with uh, Tobey Maguire. But then in the trailer, you see Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, you see Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, and you see, I guess it's Tom Holland. W- w- what's happening there? Well, this is why this movie is such a tremendous blockbuster, because it's full of fan service. You like Spider-Man? Guess what? Now we have three Spider-Man in this film. 
all the ones you've known, uh, uh, you've come to know and love. Essentially, the story revolves around Peter Parker not wanting everybody to know that he's Spider-Man and he asks Doc Strange to cast a big spell to wipe out everybody's memory. But that goes haywire, causes an interdimensional rift, and all of a sudden all the bad villains and all the Spider-Men are all together having a grand old time. I love interdimensional rifts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, how does the, uh, the 4K disc uh, look and sound? It looks, uh, it looks great. Uh, interestingly, it was shot in 2K and then upscaled to 4K on the, on, uh, on the disc. So you can save a few dollars by picking up the Blu-ray. It doesn't look that much different than the 4K. Mm. Uh, and the Atmos soundtrack is, uh, is, is fantastic. And uh, interestingly, the fact that it has done so well, I mean, it's done five times better than the last three Marvel movies, Black Widow, Eternals, and uh, Shang-Chi. And during a pandemic. And during a pandemic. And during the pandemic. See, Disney was using the excuse of the pandemic. That's why these films aren't doing well. Well, the fact is the movies just weren't very good, Hmm. right? They came out, they were using B-list and C-list characters. I mean, who knows who Shang-Chi is and who the Eternals are? And then they overburdened them with diversity and wokeness. I mean, Eternals is egregious for that. I mean, a lot of the film is spent on backstory as opposed to advancing the real plot. I mean, you go to a superhero movie to watch the bad guys get spanked. And, <laughs> and, and you don't get enough of that, you know? And so uh, and so now there's a big shakeup at the studio. Uh, Warner Brothers has wiped out their entire executive suite and, and uh, have replaced them all because... Aquaman 2 has been delayed a year. Wonder Woman 1984 was not very good. And Disney's in big trouble. Uh, Star Wars is floundering. Rumor is they're getting rid of Kathleen Kennedy, who runs the Star Wars uh, division. And, of course, they've just gotten themselves in trouble with the Florida state government and lost all their uh, all their privileges. That's so, right. They're, so, they're no longer a government unto themselves. Yeah, exactly. One stroke of the pen. So they need to hurry up and get us some more A-list films, like something about the Fantastic Four or the Hulk. And stop, you know, fooling around with these uh, C-list characters. Uh, what else do you get? Do you get any other goodies in the uh, the 4K disc version of uh, Spider-Man No Way Home? Yeah, you get 80 minutes of extras, including uh, bloopers, gag reels, Easter eggs, commentaries. So it's it's worth picking up the disc as opposed to just watching it in the theater. But hey, if you love Spider-Man, go do both. It's still still in the theaters, and uh, and the discs look great. Two billion dollars and counting. Two billion accounting box office. Wow. Yep. As opposed oh. to 400 million for uh, the other Marvel films. Jim, always a pleasure. Thank you. Great work as always. Take care, Richard. Bye for now. Jim Salas, the sofa cinephile. And uh, yes, this is definitely not your grandfather's Spider-Man. First we filled your mind. Now, let's twist it. This is <laughs> the Lim Riddler. Hey, Lim Riddler, I was starting to get the Lim Riddles withdrawals, the shakes, because it's been a couple of weeks since we uh, had a chance to convene on the radio. How are you? I'm doing well yourself. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday indeed. Well, we'll help, um, help see if we can give you your uh, your fix this uh, this week with uh, in pages between. 
All right, so just before we get to the limb riddle clues, uh, just a reminder, once you hear the clues, and again, these are uh, four clues all pointing to the same word. It's a one-word answer. Send your answer to info at limbriddles.com. Be sure to put 960 in the subject line. That way, we know you heard it right here on the Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960. And while you're at limbriddles.com, be sure to register, uh, subscribe. That way, you get the Limb Riddle Every week delivered right to your email inbox. It's always easier to, to have the limb riddle in front of you in writing rather than to hear the clues on the radio. Uh, so let's begin with this week's limb riddle clues. Righty. And in fact, we've got five clues this week, Richard. Ooh. So no excuses for anybody. All right. Um, so this is called In Pages uh, uh, Between, and it goes like this Place in the bookcase in Pages Between. Tanning takes patience to dry, cure, and clean. Eschew those who seek, retreat of the meek. Neither the beast nor its hair to be seen. Wow, that's a tricky one. Let's have that one more time. Place in the bookcase in pages between. Tanning takes patience to dry, cure, and clean. Eschew those, those who seek, retreat of the meek. Neither the beast nor its hair to be seen. Uh, all right. Again, send your one-word answer to info at limriddles.com. Put 960 in the subject line and be sure to be listening just before the news at 6 when I reveal the answer to this week's Limriddle clues and announce the names of the winners, including uh, the lucky uh, winner for a pair of tickets to see the Mississauga Steelheads in playoff action against the Barry Colts. That's uh, tomorrow night, is it? Or is that tonight, uh, Brandon? Tonight? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oh, tomorrow night, tomorrow night, right, at the uh, Paramount Fine okay. Food Center. All right, uh, and um, good luck to everyone. Thanks, Lim Riddler. We'll talk again next week. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Have a good one. Bye Have a good you. one. Bye-bye. The Lim Riddler. <laughs> Solve this puzzle. The Lim Riddler. Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960 AM. All right, don't go anywhere. Hour 2 awaits Conservative MP James Bezin on why the RCMP should charge Trudeau with fraud. We'll get a summary of the provincial budget uh, with Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And of course, the great one, Greg Carrasco, host of The Greg Carrasco Show, will be here. Andrea Humphrey from Rebel News. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet. That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. The Richard Serrett Show continues on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a whole lot, including my uh, interview with Naomi Wolf. Uh, she'll be back, I hope. She was terrific. Uh, coming up this hour, Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, will give us a, uh, a whirlwind tour of the provincial budget from yesterday, where the Crime Minister's BFF, Doug Ford, tried to bribe us with our own money again. And uh, Greg Carrasco, the great one host of the Greg Carrasco Show here on Saga 960, Saturday mornings at 8, uh, will be here. And uh, Drea Humphrey from Rebel News to talk about this immunocompromised mom out in British Columbia, one of four plaintiffs um, who is before the B.C. Supreme Court or Superior Court, I guess, uh, fighting the vaccine card system out there. Her doctor told her not to have the vaccine. All right. That used to be a sacred thing, the relationship between doctor-patient. Um, no more. The, the government there doesn't care if you could be injured by a vaccine. If you don't have your papers, you will be excluded and segregated from certain uh, aspects of society. So she's challenging that along with um, others. Drea will be here with that story. Uh, right now, well, last, uh, I guess it was Wednesday, Wednesday morning, Conservative MP James Bezin of uh, Manitoba sent a letter to the uh, RCMP commissioner, Brenda Lucky, requesting that the RCMP reopen the investigation into Trudeau accepting that all expense paid vacation to the Bahamas. Remember that back in 2016, $215,000. And uh, Canadians, he wrote in the letter, deserve to know that their prime minister is not above the law. MP James Bezin joins us now. James, welcome. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. Uh, let me make sure I pronounced your last name correctly. Is it Bezin or, or Bezan? Bezan. Bezan. All right. Thank you for that. Just like, just like Began. All right. Bezan. Uh, so what precipitated uh, this letter? A lot of people, maybe, unfortunately, Canadians seem to have very short memories, but, you know, it was 2016. Why did this suddenly resurface? So 
a year ago, we filed an access to information request with the RCMP to look at uh, how in-depth they looked at uh, a potential of fraud against the government committed by Justin Trudeau when he accepted that luxurious private vacation uh, uh, back in 2016. And so when we wanted to, uh, when we finally got those documents, uh, it uh, really surprised us uh, that, that they had seriously considered um, filing uh, a, a charge fraud or a charge of fraud uh, against the prime minister. And um, the only reason they didn't, there's two circumstances they said that that was in their minds in the public interest not to go ahead with charging the prime minister, even though they say in the document that if this was any other Canadian, if this was any other government official, they would have been charged with fraud against the government for accepting this uh, luxurious gift. But they said one is a head of a department can uh, get permission from their superior or a head of, of, of a department can give permission to one of their um, subordinates to, to accept the gift. Then it's OK. It's not illegal. And Mary Dawson, who was the uh, commissioner of the, uh, the ethics commissioner at the time who investigated Justin Trudeau and found guilty on four charges of conflict of interest underneath the conflict of interest act, um, also could have referred this case to the uh, RCMP uh, if they, she believed that there was criminality. And they since, since she never contacted her and since she is very esteemed and has a legal background, uh, they just made the assumption that um, they, that there's no criminality there. And so they let Justin Trudeau off the hook. But now that we've seen the documents and you look at the matrix they use as the RCMP decision tree, as you flow through that page and, and look at uh, the circumstances that are met to commit a fraud against the government, he was, yes, on every count except for one unknown is whether or not he had received permission. And essentially being the prime minister, only he can give himself permission. Well, in question period on Wednesday, uh, or actually on Tuesday, he told uh, Candace Bergen, the leader of the Conservative Party, that he did not have permission from himself to take the, the vacation. So all of a sudden, that decision tree that leads straight to a fraud charge goes straight down now that the unknown is known and he didn't have permission to take the gift. So uh, and then the other revelation that occurred today is that Mary Dawson, in an interview with Globe and Mail, said that she was unaware of both Section 49 of uh, the uh, Ethics Commissioner Act uh, and the Conflict of Interest Act, that she should have reported this to the RCMP. And she didn't realize that it was criminal because she didn't know about Section 121.1c of the criminal code, which is fraud by a government official. And so that has changed the whole dynamics here that Justin Trudeau should be reinvestigated. That's why we have asked Brenda Lucky, uh, uh, the commissioner of the RCMP, to reopen this investigation and not to make any assumptions. They should interview the prime minister. The prime minister should cooperate and uh, they should go farther in talking to his staff, talking to the ethics commissioner and the former ethics commissioner on uh, the criminality of, of what happened here. And just so listeners, just to, to remind them that uh, the Aga Khan had uh received $300 million from the federal government uh, before the prime minister was given this all expense paid on the Aga Khan's island in the Bahamas, $215,000. Um, so, uh, and, and received another yes. five, $50 million after that. 
Ah. So a lobbyist is, of course, reaching out to uh, offering a, a very luxurious gift to the prime minister in hopes of receiving, you know, fifty million dollars of taxpayer money, uh, in in to to support their their work. So that in itself <clears throat> is where the the uh, the corruption and and the unethical behavior is, uh, and by the prime minister accepting this gift, and the, but the criminality is that. This costs the government. You know, you got RCMP, you have reimbursements after he was caught accepting this gift. And that's the fraud upon the government. Now, didn't the RCMP say that they looked at it and didn't think it was in the public's interest to charge the prime minister? And that's what is, I think, something that sticks in my craw is why would the, the RCMP believe that the prime minister is above the law? And that he can act with impunity and how that would best serve the the public interest when the public and all the feedback that I've been getting and and, and conservatives been getting who've been asking these questions, uh, very tough questions this week of the prime minister is, you know, if we're going to have faith and trust in our public institutions like Parliament of Canada, if we're going to have trust in the RCMP, then the prime minister should be held to a higher standard. And the prime minister, you know, Justin Trudeau's own honesty and integrity is at the very center of this uh, complaint that we've brought forward. The reason why there needs to be uh, relitigation of, of this entire uh, fraud against the government, because how can he continue to serve as prime minister if he has committed a criminal act? Would he have to report the $215,000 gift on his income tax? Well, that's one of the questions that have been asked, and um, we're still waiting to hear back um, on what actually happened with his own tax returns. But, you know, whether or not it's a taxable benefit, I'm not a tax lawyer. I I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. But uh, I I think he does owe uh, that explanation as well to the public as to uh, whether or not he, he reported it. Has RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky responded to your letter? She has not. Uh, We're hoping that we hear back from her shortly. Uh, If it doesn't go the way we think it should, and that is that he's at least charged with fraud, what does that say about the the politicization of the RCMP? How concerned should we be with that? Well, let's see what they come back with first. Uh, I think that they uh, definitely have in their best interest uh, to move forward with holding the prime minister to a higher standard. And that if, um, as they say in their own criminal brief, uh, that was part of the access to information request that uh, our, 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 I've gone through. They say in there that if this was any other Canadian, if this was any other government official, they would have been charged with fraud. So why would the prime minister not be charged? What's, what's the penalty for fraud? Well, <clears throat> it, it could be, uh, depends on the severity of, uh, on the way it's judged. So ultimately, it'll go to a court of law. Uh, I, I believe it will end up in the hands of the public prosecutor. And, uh, you know, one of the things we set up when we were government was under the Accountability Act was the Public Prosecutor Service of Canada. And they are the ones that are supposed to hold uh, people that are dealing with the government and government officials to that higher standard to, to weed out corruption and to ensure that it's not just a slap on the wrist. And I think that's one of the greatest um, criticisms of um, the investigations into Trudeau and Marno and others uh, through the conflict of interest uh, and ethics commissioner and their office is that uh, all there ever is a slap on the wrist and the most you can find someone is 500 bucks. And, and I think Trudeau paid 200 for his legal vacation the last time. Um, 
really we are looking at criminality here uh, under the criminal code of Canada, Section 121.1c. And um, yeah, if there, there, there could be significant fines leveled as well as uh, jail time if, if a judge in, uh, is, um, deems it that serious. Well, we will watch this one with uh, great interest. Uh, James Bazan, Conservative MP for Selkirk, Interlake, Eastman, Manitoba. Thank you so much for this. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on the show, right, Richard. All right. When we come back, we'll take a look at the provincial budget announced yesterday, and we'll get a reaction from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and their Ontario director. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Well, yesterday, Ontario Finance Minister Peter Bethlen Falvey stood up in the Queen's, uh, the Ontario Legislature, and uh, delivered the provincial budget, looking very conservative in his blue tie and his very conservative-looking haircut and suit. But nothing really conservative about this budget, I'd say. Once again, as predicted, they are bribing us with our own money. Uh, here with a summary and analysis of the budget is Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hey, Jay, welcome back. Great to be with you. Uh, lots of money for infrastructure, and we sort of talked about that and anticipated that. Funding for hospitals, uh, some home care for seniors, some uh, tax credits for low-income families. Um, what, what, what were the two, three highlights that stood out for you? Well, I think the number one highlight that everyone's going to be thinking about is that the deficit is coming in this year at $19.9 billion. And what that means is that Ford is running a larger deficit this year than the government ran during COVID. And that's a pretty astonishing thing. You know, we're paying over a billion dollars a month on debt interest, and Ford is just making the situation worse and worse. And there's actually analysis that shows that uh, Kathleen Wynne's spending intentions were less than uh, what Ford is delivering now. So it was a real disappointment when it comes to overspending. It was good to see some tax relief for families that are making less than $50,000 a year. But, um, you know, as you say, it was the highest spending budget in Ontario's history. They're bribing Ontarians with, them with their own money. Uh, and there was no sense of priorities or restraint in any kind of way. $198.6 billion in, uh, in spending. Uh, and as you pointed out the other day, uh, and also it's been uh, noted by the um, Ontario's Financial Accountability Office, um, the province was on track. They could have balanced the budget by next year had they just reined in a little bit on non-healthcare spending. Uh, they would have been, um, well, almost in the black, but certainly, you know, they would have balanced the, uh, the budget by next year. Now it looks like when? 27, 2027, 2028, right? Yeah, so they're kicking the balanced budget back. Um, the, the FAO, as you said, it was projecting we could balance the budget next year in it. But after this uh, reckless spending spree, the Ford government saying, yeah, we're going to balance the budget maybe in four or five years, but uh, we have no clear plan about how to get there. And what is clear is that every year, the Ford government announces billions of dollars in new spending that the province can't afford. So you really have to question whether we can even get to a balanced budget within the next four or five years, because if the Ford government's reelected, they may very well just continue the spending bonanza. The only thing that maybe will be a saving grace for Ford during the election 
uh, is that the other two main parties are promising more of the same. They're all promising record amounts of spending, no concern with the deficit and debt that's just piling up like crazy. And we don't really have a clear plan for fiscal responsibleness from any of the major parties running in this election. Um, you know, the, the fact that they, they're, they're expanding, having to expand uh, their, their low-income tax relief, their tax credits, I mean, you know, that's, it's good news, I guess, for struggling families, but the fact that they're having to expand it speaks volumes, right? In other words, there are more and more families who are in need of this tax credit because there are more and more families falling behind. That's exactly right. We've got uh, half of Ontario families say that they're $200 away from not being able to pay their bills. Uh, we're, we're facing record inflation, the highest in 30 years. We've got soaring cost of living. And so what the Ford government should have done uh, is hold the line on spending and introduce sweeping new tax cuts to help people be able to make ends meet as we're facing rampant inflation and cost of living crisis. So the Ford government previously, when they were running for office four years ago, proposed a middle-class tax cut that would have been the largest tax cut in the province since the Mike Harris era. It would have made a very meaningful difference, could have saved families over $1,500 a year. That's the kind of thing that the Ford government should have been going after. They announced $11 billion in new spending yesterday. But implementing this proposed tax cut would have been less than $4 billion, so about a third of all this new extra spending. So, you know, they could have been leaving hundreds of dollars extra in the pockets of people all across Ontario rather than announcing $11 billion of new spending that we simply can't afford. How much of this um, uh, this money that they are throwing around is actually coming from transfer payments from the federal government for basically following in lockstep with all of the various edicts of the Trudeau government? There's a very significant amount. They're getting uh, well over $10 billion in terms of transfer payments from the federal government. Uh, they're increasing. We know that, for example, uh, the Trudeau government insisted on uh, a new $10 day daycare program, and the Ford government went along with it and has signed on. So that's going to be $13 billion over the next 10 years that the federal government's going to be transferring to Ontario. So we actually have a record amount of revenue in this province because of some of the deals they've made with the federal government. The Ford government has gained $17 billion of revenue over the past two years, uh, which is a heck of a lot of money. And the fact that we're gaining all of this revenue and we are still going to run the biggest deficit in the history of the province, I think really speaks in volumes just how irresponsible and reckless the Ford government's budget was. All right, uh, Jay, hold on. We'll take a quick time out, come back and continue to discuss the provincial budget. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. A few minutes remain with Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com. How are the bond rating agencies going to like this budget, Jay? They're not going to like this budget at all. They're going to see a $20 billion deficit. They're going to see no plan to balance the budget for the next five years. And it's quite possible that we're going to see credit downgrades here in the province of Ontario because the size of the debt to GDP is actually going to go up this year. They're suggesting it's going to go down a little bit in the years ahead. 
But again, that all depends on the Ford government not announcing further new spending. You know, they've already around, announced record spending, but every year they seem to keep piling on and piling on. Uh, they did it before COVID. They did it during COVID. Now they're doing it post-COVID. Uh, and so there's a very clear risk we could see downgrades. And then, of course, we know the Bank of Canada has raised interest rates already this year. They're planning to further raise interest rates. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So we're paying $13.5 billion. We're sending that to bondholders on Bay Street to pay for just the interest on our provincial debt. That's going to skyrocket several billion dollars more as debt interest keeps going up, which will make it even harder to balance the budget in the future. So, you know, this really sets us on a negative trajectory. Uh, so 13 point, did you say $13.8 billion per year in interest payments? And if uh, the Bank of Canada hikes the rates, I mean, I, 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 uh, I think they're good. The, these rates hikes are going to start coming fast and furious over the next uh, a year. Um, every, every 1% hike equals how many, uh, how many billion dollars in interest payments? So according to the finance ministry, every 1% hike is going to cost the government and taxpayers $700 million. So for example, the Bank of Canada just a few weeks ago increased the, the rate by half a percentage point. So that one announcement is going to cost Ontario taxpayers $350 million. And as we're going to see interest rates climb this year, because we're facing the worst inflation we've seen since 1990, uh, we're bound to see pressures on the budget and we're going to see this budget deficit expand because we're going to be paying so much more interest, again, to bondholders on Bay Street. You know, we can argue about whether there should be more spending on, on transit or whether more money should go to hospitals, but I don't think anybody in this province is prepared to say that they would like to see more than $13 billion of their tax dollars every year just going to interest payments. It's not going to help us on health care. It's not going to help with transit. It's not going to lower taxes. And so these are the consequences of running reckless deficits year after year is that a higher and higher percentage of your budget is going to be eaten up by debt interest. And in the briefing I was in with the Ministry of Finance, they said explicitly debt interest is our fourth largest expense as a province. And so that's not a good thing. And, and we face a risk that it's going to become the third largest expense if we continue on this path. Uh, I, and it seems to me that uh, the the, uh, the government's plan is just uh, to sit back and allow the, I don't know, they seem to rel be relying on revenue from land transfer taxes, uh, their their share of the, uh, you know, the, the cannabis um, sales. 
uh, that are run through, you know, government uh, approved outlets, LCBO um, uh, sales. Uh, so, the, you know, they create all of this misery in the province and more and more people, you know, going to the LCBO and maybe uh, uh, to the to the uh, smoke shops for some relief. And uh, they're just counting so much on that kind of revenue. But but as um, you know, as inflation begins to creep up and people decide they're not going to they're not going to be spending money like they used to, uh, how quickly is that revenue likely to to dry up? Well, it can certainly dry up. And, you know, the Minister of Finance clearly said that they are relying on economic growth to sustain their budget projections. So we, we already have a $20 billion deficit. But this year, they're expecting, for example, personal income tax revenue. They're, they're depending on $2.5 billion more in personal income tax revenue. They're depending on an extra $2 billion in sales tax revenue an extra $1 billion in corporate revenue. So they're depending on all of this new tax revenue. And their budget is projecting that government revenue is going to go up by $18 billion over the next two years. So they are very, very dependent on increased government revenue to try to get this budget anywhere back near the balance. And so, as you said, if the economy slows down, that revenue could very easily dry up. And we'll be a lot further away from balancing the books than the Minister of Finance actually says. So I don't have very much confidence that when they're saying, oh, we'll balance the budget four or five years from now, uh, they're depending on, you know, wonderful economic growth for the next five years to try to get anywhere close to that. And I don't think that's going to be the reality. Uh, If they reined in spending in certain areas, could they afford to shave several cents off uh, the provincial portion of the HST? They certainly could. So in terms of the sales tax that we pay here in the province of Ontario, we basically have about $32 billion that the government makes uh, in revenue uh, through that tax. And so that means each percentage point is about $4 billion worth of revenue. So they announced $11 billion of new spending yesterday. Well, if they they could have decreased the provincial sales tax by two percentage points, and that would have represented eight billion dollars, which is far less than all of this new spending. So yeah, they could have decreased the sales tax from eight percent to six percent, which would have helped everybody all across the province, and that would have been less costly than what they they've announced in terms of all this new spending. And we know from experience when you when you reduce taxes, you increase the revenue. People will spend more, right? We do know that, um, for example, with the Harper government, uh, when they came into power and for about five years afterwards, every year the government was decreasing the corporate tax rate. Well, what ended up happening? Corporate tax revenue went up every single year after they cut corporate taxes because they were able to attract more businesses to Canada. And it's the exact same principle with individuals. If you tax them less, they have more money to spend in the economy to generate economic growth and to get some of that revenue then back to the government. And so, unfortunately, the Ford government, you know, they've talked a lot about, we hear the Premier all the time saying, one of his favorite quotes is, you know, the worst place you can send your money to is the government. Well, if that's the case, why is he allowing revenue to go up by $18 billion in the next two years? Why is he increasing spending by $11.5 billion in just one year? I mean, the government's rhetoric just does not match up with what they're doing. They have pro-taxpayer rhetoric, the premier likes to say he's on the side of taxpayers, and yet they present a budget that would have made, you know, 
the wind government blush, frankly. All right, Jay, appreciate your insights uh, and analysis as always. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. When we come back, Greg Carrasco, there's something happening here. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Carrasco usually joins us at this uh, time every Friday, but um, we've had a couple of weeks off because of the Orthodox Good Friday last week and the Catholic slash Protestant Friday, Good Friday the week before. So uh, he may have forgotten. Why did you forsake me, Greg Carrasco? All right. uh, Coming up a little bit later, Drea Humphrey will be here, we hope from uh, Rebel News to talk about this immunocompromised uh, woman out in British Columbia. She's a mom. Her doctor told her not to take the jab because of her rare disease, uh, which she's been fighting. And uh, so she couldn't get her vax pass, which means she was medically segregated, discriminated against, left out of certain aspects of society. Now, many of the uh, vax Mandates have been lifted in British Columbia, but they still are required in certain settings, as they are here in Ontario, I believe. Uh, So she's taken the the B.C. government to court. It's the B.C. Supreme Court or B.C. Superior Court. She's one of four plaintiffs. The other includes a young man in his uh, 20s who who took the first jab. This was a, a very healthy... Uh, athletic young man took the first jab and had a very serious adverse event. And uh, that ended up putting him in the ICU unit or the ICU. ICU unit, that would be intensive care unit unit. (laughs) That's like saying the NDP party, right? Anyway, he was in the ICU fighting for his life. So, I mean, if that happened to you, would you take the second jab? I don't think so. So he did not. So not having two jabs, not considered fully vaccinated. And again, excluded, medically segregated. Because the government doesn't care about your health. You're a number. If you're not compliant, you're nothing to them. And uh, so we wish them both uh, luck. But Drea Humphrey will be here to tell us more about this uh, important story. Coming up tomorrow. uh, No, not tomorrow. We're off tomorrow. What do we have coming up uh, next week on the program that I can share with you now that I have a few minutes to fill? Of course, uh, Mondays, we have Stefan Verstappen, the survivalist. He's our emergency preparedness expert. And uh, David Creighton was supposed to join us earlier this week. Again, wires crossed. Actually, no, he had a family emergency. Anyway, he's with the Western Standard. He's the senior parliamentary columnist at the Western Standard. And uh, we'll also talk about why Trudeau should be charged with fraud by the RCMP, as we were discussing earlier with conservative MP James Bazan from 
Manitoba, Bazan actually wrote a letter to RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky asking her to reopen the investigation and charge Trudeau with fraud. Can you imagine if that actually happens? We may finally be free of this menace. How great would that look? How great would that be? To see gropey blackface in some orange coveralls, in leg irons, doing the perp walk. The only problem is they'll find someone equally as odious within that liberal cabinet to replace him. And then we'll end up with uh, Christia Freeland, board of trustee member on the uh, World Economic Forum. Oh, joy. All right. When we come back, Drea Humphrey will be here from Rebel News. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, let's get into this uh, story about this immunocompromised mother out in B.C. who is uh, challenging the uh, province's Vax Pass system in the uh, B.C. Supreme Court. Drea Humphrey is with Rebel News. Drea, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me back about this important story. Well, it's it's heartbreaking uh, in many respects, and so many heartbreaking stories out there. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Leah Eliason. Well, Lee is a Maple Ridge, BC woman who has a series of very complex um, immune disorders, so much to the point that in order to get treatment, she had to actually leave Canada. Nobody was able to um, properly diagnose and treat her here, and she had to go to treatment in the States. Um, She, to the point of during her recovering, she had to stay in her room, couldn't hear noises, couldn't have lights on, and she did that for quite a long period of time, and eventually got back to a state of living where she could function in society and could do things like, you know, go see her children, do a dance performance and things like that, only to have it then stripped away from these public health orders that initially came out saying there would be absolutely no uh, medical exemptions provided. And what is the status of the VaxPass system in in BC now? Because, you know, obviously mandates are lifting all over the country, except at the federal level. What's the situation with the VaxPass card system in BC right now? Well, British Columbia was the last of the provinces in Canada to drop our uh, provincial vaccine passport, which was dropped April 8th. In almost all settings, if you are unvaccinated and have a loved one in certain health care facilities or living areas, you're still unable to visit them. Um, so for Lee, as an example, on April 8th, she was allowed to mingle in society. And um, during... About a few months ago, I want to say November, public health did make changes where they started to allow medical exemptions. However, 
They didn't really let physicians know about this. Physicians had been told there were no exemptions. They had been told there could be, um, actually, our public health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, actually publicly said it's fraud um, if people are getting them. And then when the government changed and, and allowed a process quietly for people like Lee to apply for them, uh, they weren't able to access that, access that information easily, which is part of the struggle. Uh, you also feature a uh, in the story, um, there are four plaintiffs in this uh, challenge to the uh, B.C. Supreme Court. Uh, another, it was a, a young man in his 20s uh, who, a Burnaby man, ended up in critical care fighting for his life mm-hmm. after suffering an adverse reaction to a Pfizer vaccine. What's the situation there? So there are four separate cases challenging the B.C. vaccine passport. Um, and then the case that we've brought on has two plaintiffs, and we've brought that, Rebel News has brought that on in partnership with the Democracy Fund. The young man that you're speaking on was very healthy, very athletic, um, had no issues, got his notice, hey, <clears throat> you can go get your vaccine. You know, he did his part. And uh, within around a week, ended up in critical care fighting for his life. Uh, He was later diagnosed with pericarditis, which is the swelling of the casing, the inflammation of the casing that surrounds the heart. Um, And he's had to deal with that ever since. So he obviously couldn't get the second shot and ended up in the same boat as Lee, whereas they were segregated from functioning in society for quite some time due to these mandates. So the um, the hearing is scheduled um, in May, May tenth to eleventh. Uh, again, mm-hmm. since you know most of the the the, um, the mandates have been lifted, what do they hope to achieve? Would this set, for example, if this is a charter challenge, would it set precedent? Would it prevent British Columbia perhaps from reintroducing uh, the vaccine card system at a later date? So, yeah, the challenge is to the constitutionality of these um, restrictions that were put on as well as to the legality of them. And precedent is what's hoped for here, obviously, so that if for some reason the same measure of restriction is put back, if there's another wave and the flu season coming up in the fall, that the same things that have happened here can't happen to Canadians in uh, the true North strong and free. Now, the first case um, that challenged the vaccine passport is kind of similar in context. We are still waiting to hear the judge's ruling. So perhaps we will be going into this with a new precedent or not. It should be interesting to see how that goes. And it's the same justice, Justice Hinkson, who is also um, presiding over our case as well. All right, Drea. Well, we'll watch this with interest. Thank you so much for bringing it to our attention. Drea Humphrey, Rebel News, rebelnews.com. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. And now, your Lim Riddler answer and this week's winners. All right. Well, I hope you were paying attention just before the news at five o'clock when the Lim Riddler joined us with this week's Lim Riddle. Place in the bookcase in pages between. Tanning takes patience to dry, cure, and clean. Eschew those who seek retreat of the meek, neither the beast nor its hair to be seen. Did you get this one, Brandon or Jacob, rather? Did you get it? No, I didn't. Well, the answer to today's limb riddle is hide, hide, right? You hide things in the uh, in pages in a book. Tanning takes patience to dry, cure and clean. You, you dry, cure and clean a hide. 
Uh, you, uh, if you eschew those who seek, you try and hide. If you retreat, you're hiding. Neither the beast nor its hair to be seen, neither hair nor hide. You've heard that expression. So again, the answer to today's limb riddle is hide. The first five to answer correctly were Rob M. from Toronto. He's the winner of a pair of steelhead playoff tickets. And uh, let's see, uh, Amy Lou Hu from Toronto, also an honorable mention. Patricia Crumpeck from Brampton. Tom Dibley from Halliburton. Joe Krupa from Mississauga. Congratulations. But again, the, uh, the winner, the first to answer uh, f- uh, for the uh, playoff tickets for the Steelheads, and that's uh, Rob M. And uh, they'll be playing against the Barry Colts in round one. Game five is tomorrow night at the Paramount Fine Food Center. And if you want to get your tickets for the Mississauga Steelheads uh, playoff series, again, visit the Paramount Fine Food Center box office or call 905-502-7788. 905-502-7788. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Declan. I'll be back next week to do, to all, to do it all over again, God willing. Be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow, or Monday rather, Monday at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.